Hi, Natasha. Thanks for being on the show. I'm so glad to be here. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. So would you just like to tell our audience how you identify, who who you are exactly? Um, sure. So my name is Natasha. I am a rising sophomore at Harvard-Westlake in LA. And um, yeah, so I, um, in terms of race, I'm half Indian and half white. And yeah, that's like, that's pretty much it. All right, so I also live in LA. I go to Geffen Academy, I'm 14 years old and I am 100% Punjabi and AKA Indian. So the hot topic of the year, coronavirus. So can you just tell me your experience with that? How social distancing and quarantine has been for you mentally, emotionally? Yeah, sure. So um, when we first like, when when we first got the orders to stay at home and school was canceled, I was like really excited because I normally don't get a lot of sleep. So I was like, heck yeah, I can like, you know, wake up at 7.30 for my class at eight. And <laughs> not alone. Yeah, it was like an hour and 30 minutes of extra sleep than I usually get. So I was super excited. But then like, it just became harder to stay in contact with my friends, e- even though like, I still did it. It was just way more of an effort yeah. rather than like seeing people in person because at school you can sit with people, eat lunch, have conversations in the hallways, but you can't really do that during quarantine. Yeah, and I know for a fact that you have close contact with your great parents, you love them dearly, and they live, they live in LA, right? Um, my grandparents live in Texas, so oh. it's actually like, it's kind of funny. Um, my aunt and my mom drove like, to Las Cruces, and my grandparents got, like, someone driving them to Las Cruces, which is, like, the halfway point between LA and Houston, which is where they live, and then my aunt and mom drove them back to LA, and since my aunt lives, like, 20 minutes away from us, um, we all got COVID tested, and we all came back negative, so my grandparents are just rotating between the two houses. Yeah. Has it been the stress point with you? Is this, any of this really scary, or? Um, it's, I mean, I feel like it's not really as scary, maybe because, like, I haven't really experienced or, like, seen the virus firsthand, but it is kind of scary to think, like, that there is, like, this unknown element, and, like, the, I think the scariest thing is that you don't really know how to, like, how you get it and how to stop the spread, like, for cross-country practice, which started, um, my mom originally wanted me to wear like goggles and gloves <laughs> and a mask and like the mask like is reasonable, but she's like, you have to wear the goggles and gloves when running, when not touching anyone, because what about the spread? I'm mm-hmm. like, I get that. I get that we want to be safe, but like at the same time, like that's sort of the scariest part that we don't know. Like was my mom being a little bit overboard when saying I need to wear goggles and gloves? Yes. Is it also true that coronavirus might be able to spread through the eyes or spread through hands? Also, yes. So it's sort of that difficult question on like what exactly is overboard and is it better to like 
be overboard than to go to not go over to, to be underboard whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I don't really know how to say underboard but like yeah you get what I'm saying I get your idea there's a lot of uncertainty looming over us then I guess that's another stress point where you don't know how much to worry about it. and then the paranoia with that is also another element to that so thank you and how do you feel about what's how the U.S. government is handling this do you have any opinions on that um I think that like in my personal opinion, um, the U.S. government, like, is opening things, like, way too early, and a lot of public properties aren't necessarily, like, being closed. Um, some examples are parks. Like, I went to a park earlier to run, and people weren't social distancing. People weren't wearing masks. Some kid, like, kicked a soccer ball, and it, like, flew right over my head, and then the oh, family looked at me, like, aren't you gonna get that? I'm like, no, there's a virus, but okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like the government isn't doing a very good job when really, like, stressing the importance of staying at home because also a lot of businesses have started opening back up because they're losing money and it's essential for the economy. But I feel like the government, um, not the CDC, but, like, um, especially, like, the executive branch of government is sort of prioritizing money and stocks and, like, economics over the safety of the people as when you hear the statistics like one percent of the population doesn't really sound like that much but when you think of how many people you know when you think of how many people there are in the world it's a really big number yeah i think that's really nuanced thank you for that and i know that florida yesterday i believe had a record-breaking number of cases yesterday it was over it was like seven part of years and part of years what two thousand kids so yeah and also in mississippi 26 of the legislators got tested positive so definitely there are people who are getting tested positive for this there is a big impact and i think with bars and nail salons and places like that opening in la yes there is a point of economics from that there's an economic perspective but there's also the perspective of health and homelessness is a big issue like i know in I, th I believe it was Arizona, there were people who were creating apartments for homeless people to live in, and that 80% of them were able to not get tested for coronavirus positively. So that's been a huge impact. And then also, there's been talk of reopening schools, and how do you feel about that? Um, <laughs> Bless you. Sorry. Um, thank you. Um, so when it comes to reopening schools, I mean, as a teenager, I'm super excited to like see my friends again, but as a member of the United States, um, I, I mean, as a citizen of the United States and as someone who has elderly grandparents at home, a high-risk mom, it just doesn't really seem safe. And I think that with quarantine, with social distancing, a lot of people are getting antsy, like understandably so, but sort of not really prioritizing health and we're prioritizing these connections instead of our health. And I think it's like, it's completely fine for people to hang out like six feet apart, wearing masks, whatnot. Like I'm not saying don't see your friends, but at school, um, I mean, at least I don't know about like other schools, but my grade is like 300 people and they wanna have 300 people sitting in a classroom wearing masks, not touching each other, not getting close to each other. And I just don't really know how that's going to work because naturally when we see each other, we like stand close to talk to each other and also classrooms, like you sit close to each other, 
you have close contact in general with people in school through the hallways like you push past people i really don't know how they're going to be safe with this yeah it's and, not exactly realistic or ideal and i think that um schools are like really trying to make this work because of course like it's really unfair on the class of um 21 and how like their junior year was cut short and now they won't really get to have a senior year it's unfair on like the freshman class um, because they won't really get to bond with their grade when going into a new school. It's unfair on the sophomore class because like, you know, they just made a bunch of friends and now you're not really getting to solidify those connections. And yeah, it's unfair on like pretty much everyone who is currently a student. And I think that teachers have a lot of sympathy and want students to be happy, but we also have to prioritize health because you can't really be happy if you, you know, get coronavirus and you yeah. aren't really thinking about that because it just seems like something that like is so far away, like, oh yeah, that definitely won't happen to me. But yeah. the reality is it's a lot more common than you think. Yeah, I love that you said that because when my brother was two, he was diagnosed with a really rare condition called aplastic anemia. And it's just one of the thing one of those things where you never believe it'll happen to you. It feels so against the odds that it'll occur, but it is a real, very possibility that you can catch coronavirus, and thank you for that. And you also mentioned that your mom is at high risk. Can you elaborate on that? Um, yeah, so my mom has asthma, and in general, like, so she, um, yeah, she gets, like, winded easily when, like, walking up hills. Um, it's just hard for her to breathe, and that's, like, why I'm really careful, because like her asthma is really bad and I don't want to make like I don't want to like accidentally get coronavirus then pass it on to her or my grandparents and my grandparents are at high risk because like you know they're um they're grandparents elderly yes <laughs> yeah they're the elderly um and I just want to be sure that I'm not endangering people that I care about yeah I love that and that must be a stress point I'm assuming for everyone who can relate to your position and Along with reopening schools, just to connect to the Black Lives Matter movement, I know for a fact that with predominantly white schools and predominantly schools of people of color, there is a $23 billion difference in terms of their funding. And if schools were to reopen, then the funding for schools of majority people of color would be extremely detrimental because transportation would be one thing, the way the classrooms would be arranged, the number of masks available, I think that would be a huge issue. So just to connect to the Black Lives Matter movement, how do you feel about everything that's going on? Um, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, I wholeheartedly support it. And I think that it's really important that this message gets spread around. Um, I feel like it's hard, especially for like teenagers to really find a way to help because I mean, like whenever I open Instagram, I see like people posting a bajillion things on their Instagram story, like raising awareness, but, and like signing petitions. But like the truth is like, we have power, but we don't have as much as the adults. And I think like, although teens are doing a really great job of spreading awareness, signing these petitions, like trying to bring justice to Breonna Taylor, the main people who need to hear this message are adults and that's the difficult thing because teens are on top of it at least like from what i can tell but the adults are the ones that 
really like put their votes in, they're the ones that get to choose what happens. So that's really like, I don't know, that's really, I think, like the takeaway. Yeah, the fact that that responsibility isn't accessible to us is daunting for sure. And I guess it can sometimes feel like there's no point and that it's just futile when we're just advocating, which is only the first step, I believe. There's also action that has to be taken. And going to protest is another thing where it's, there's a lot of news about that and the way the media portrays it to us is another thing. Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, um, I feel like the media sometimes um, makes the protests, like, makes the protesters seem violent, especially with, like, all the covering on the looting, when, like, the facts are that, like, a lot of the times the police were the ones who escalated situations, and also um, just in general, like, a lot of people have opinions on the protesting, and, like, I completely, uh, like, I understand having opinions on it, but a lot of people who aren't Black are trying to say, like, oh, no, this way of protesting is wrong. And I feel like you can't really say that if you aren't a part of the minority that's protesting. Because as someone, like, who has privilege, I, it's not my place to dictate how an oppressed group protests. And I feel like that's one of the main problems, because a lot of people, like, especially white lawmakers, are saying, like, it's immoral and there are better ways. But the thing is though, like the Black Lives Matter movement, it didn't just start during quarantine. It's been an ongoing issue, but only now it's being brought to light with like all these protests, all these riots and lawmakers to say, oh no, like there are other ways to protest. I feel is just really condescending because the only way that the message is getting to them is through like, these protests and other than that black lives matter wasn't really a focus especially in the government yeah whenever riots like these occur they always pin it onto the black protesters saying oh these people are dangerous they're just bringing crime to our city especially with the history of black people in our country and how they were brought to america in such uncivilized manners how many stereotypes there are used to just justify slavery by saying they're dangerous because they would whip them and put them in coal mines and put them under horrible conditions. And it just, you can even see it now in like places like the media where they're making them look dangerous or even in medical fields where they won't give them as much medication and things like that because they believe they're just not human or as valid. So the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on for a long time and black people have been struggling in this country for an excessively amount of time as well. Um, as an Indian, I know that there's a lot of anti-Blackness in our community. Do you want to speak to that? Have you ever heard any comments that sound a bit wrong or things like that? Um, honestly, like, not really in my experience. Um, most of the time, like, when I, uh, like, my grandparents, um, I talked about how they live in Texas, um, whenever I visit them, they're very social, so they love, like, throwing parties and attending parties, and, like, I have a bajillion aunties and uncles, I, like, don't even know who's related to me, (laughs) um, but the celebrations are always, like, very beautiful, and people are always respectful, and I haven't really heard any comments, um, from, like, members of the Indian community. I know that they exist, but I haven't, either I haven't really noticed, or I just haven't really heard them. Um, 
but I do remember like when I was little I used to like be like upset and like why is my skin darker like I want purple eyes and <laughs> hair and yeah. like we were doing um activities and like Girl Scouts um I don't know if you ever did this but it was like they had a bunch of different hands and they were like oh like choose the hand that looks the most like you and then like draw on it and I was like why don't I look like the white hand because everyone else took the white hand and I like had to take one of the darker hands and I was like oh okay so I feel like that's something that needs to be addressed like not necessarily like even though I haven't really been exposed to a lot of comments and I have like in my opinion lived sort of a sheltered life still at a young age I was like oh why can't I be this color and I think that that's the most important thing to address like this idea that certain races are like prettier or better like to young children because then that's internalized and that that um affects how we view the world and I think that is the most important thing to start with children and to teach children that like all colors are beautiful and that their heritage and their culture is nothing to be ashamed of and to like start really talking about other cultures in school especially elementary ones because I know like my school um, has three years of European slash American history and then in 12th grade you get like to choose an elective but we need to start talking about other countries in our curriculum and other cultures and not really just focusing on American and European history. Yeah, especially early on at such a young age where our minds are more easily developed and influenced. So yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, the truth is like Indian history is American history. Irish history is American history because America is known for having like a bunch of immigrants, a bunch of different cultures being some sort of a melting pot. So it's really hypocritical that really only European history is touched on when America says it's this great melting pot and has so many beautiful cultures. And I just think that that would be important, like going forward. Like you mentioned about immigrants, I I wonder if you've heard about the ICE statements that they've been putting out. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? I feel that like the ICE, um, I don't really know exactly what they're putting out right now. I haven't really heard about that. But, like, in general, um, I feel like ICE is just sort of a corrupt organization um, because it's just, I mean, a lot of people who are in ICE have privilege. And I feel that when you haven't come from a background where you have to flee a country or you don't really know what's safe and you're living in fear, you don't get to judge others, you know? Like, what makes you more, right? Like, what makes you, like, more entitled to live in America than someone else, other than the fact that, like, you're a citizen, you have, like, this piece of paper. I just think that people who think that undocumented immigrants need to be deported, that America is for Americans, like, just really need to check their privilege because in general, like America has always been like sort of this place where people flee to, you know, like we have a bunch of different cultures living here. It's a melting pot, as I said earlier. And to say like, oh no, we're going to deny people that um, is just really horrible. And I think like, although yes, like obviously like not the entire world's population can live in America and any something like that. I think that to 
actively try and like weed out undocumented immigrants who really aren't like causing any harm and it's just not fair yeah especially with with the way america's attitude is towards the latinx community where they believe that they're stealing jobs or that their only worth is in small jobs and small businesses and can't amount to anything greater than that i think our attitude towards communities that aren't white are just really horrible and detrimental and again i believe that uh 71 percent of our Congress members, or I think in the government, are male, so they can't be deciding things for people who have experienced other experiences. Like, for example, with women, they can't just decide that America should just anti-abortion, be anti-abortion, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, in other countries, they found that, like, providing access to, like, talks about safe sex and, like, being protected really is what cuts down on abortions because the more that people are educated and the more that people like sort of know how this all works like the less likely they are to make mistakes like not wearing a condom or thinking like oh I can pull out and I think that would be like the most important thing if people really want to stop abortions they should stop like well they should like start um bringing like talks about safe sex and sex education to schools, especially like those in lower income communities and just all around because it's important that people are aware. And I feel like as you know, sex education isn't really a fun subject to talk about. Like I know when I had to go to sex ed um, in eighth grade, I just like, I did not want to go. I'm like, why do I have to be here? But it's important to learn at the end of the day. Yeah, there's a lot of stigma around that, especially for girls, and you can clearly see the double standards when whenever a, a girl or a woman decides to get an abortion where she's she's the only one being shamed for doing this act of murder, so-called, and it's never the, the male person who's also part of that process. And what was I going to say? Yeah, you also mentioned people, women of lower class, where in the 1960s when abortion was illegal and people had to perform illegal operations on themselves which is so extremely dangerous uh 25% i believe of 25% of let's see it was for white women 25% of the pregnancy deaths that were happening were caused by abortion and 50% of pregnancy related deaths for lower class oh sorry let me rephrase that <laughs> for women with more money, they got more access to better physicians or better technologies back in the 1960s. 50% of their, how do I say this? Wait, it's 25% of pregnancy-related deaths for people of higher class for women were caused by abortion, while 50% for lower-class women was caused by abortion. So you can clearly see how lower-class women have always had this disadvantage to resources and things like that. So yeah, is there anything else you would like to talk about on the topic? Um, well, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I've like heard about coat hanger abortions and how people had to do that. And I think like in general, when people outlaw abortions, they're not really outlawing abortions. You know, like people will still find a way to abort a baby if like if they can and if they really want to terminate the pregnancy but what they're 
really like what they're really eliminating are safe abortions because when people have access to healthcare and whatnot, like obviously the abortion process is going to go a lot smoother, but in the case that they don't, in the, in the case that abortions are banned and someone still wants an abortion, either they'll go somewhere else or they'll do something unsafe. And I think that like in general, lawmakers haven't really thought this through because they're thinking like, oh yeah, we'll restrict people's access to abortion. And that means like less babies will be aborted because most people won't be willing to like go to these extreme measures. But I think that that's just sort of very controlling and saying like what someone gets to do with their body because even corpses, you know, like corpses have to sign away their rights to like their lungs to if for them to be used on like someone who might have a lung disease. Yeah. But women don't really get that much control over their own bodies in today's society. And like, you have to think about like, if a corpse has more rights than a living woman, like what are we doing wrong? I think that's a great way to put it. And also just with the whole abortion movement, I believe that they're not only controlling what we can do with our bodies, but what we can amount to in the workforce and things like that. For example, when they outlawed, I'm pretty sure the Trump administration made it so that under Obamacare, you aren't allowed to get birth control. So that would make hundreds, and I believe thousands of women not able to get access to birth control, which is counterintuitive because that would help with less abortion. So I don't think it's about killing an unborn child or committing murder. I think it's just about controlling women, making sure they can't be part of the workforce. Because if you look at how America's laws are regarding maternal leave, it's there are no paid weeks for maternal leave in America, whereas other countries, it ranges from, I believe, five weeks to even 30 weeks. There are, like, so many other countries are doing that, and especially countries where women are leading, and they're just restricting us from using and taking our power with that. So, yeah, I think laws in America have a long way of fixing things. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's just, it's not really fair in terms of, like, jobs, especially, like, if for example, let's say they needed a position and there was a super qualified pregnant woman and then a not as qualified, like, non-pregnant man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and they needed someone to start, even though the woman was more qualified, the fact that she's pregnant, people might be like, oh, she's going to have to leave in a bit for her baby. And that might deter them from hiring her. And I think, like, it's in general just not fair for people to deny jobs based on like someone's gender or someone's circumstances but at the same time like they don't really the people denying jobs like they might really need someone like to be at the position it might be super high stress and the fact that like women are deterred from working in those types of environments like because either they're deemed as like oh like you're, you won't really have time, um, you're a mother, you're pregnant. The fact that women are deterred from working in those environments, I think, like, goes to show you about, like, the sexism that America has, like, in the workforce, in the workplace. Yeah, I've read articles where women, like, come out to their workforce and people that they're working alongside, where they tell them they're pregnant, and suddenly there's this environment where everyone has become more, what's the word, hostile? 
towards them. And like we said earlier, there's a stigma with that as well, as long as sex ed and things like that, especially for women, it's a complete double standard. And then when they actually have the baby, when even when they're not so quick to give them the roles that they deserve, whenever they have a baby, they'll usually be forced to come back at a way earlier time than they should. For example, they won't have the proper weeks of recovery they deserve, and that can cause lots of side effects and horrible things like that. So it's just, I really think that the people in charge are just not understanding the complete taxing labor of going through pregnancy and having to birth a child. So yeah, just I think empathy in that area would be really important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times, like, it's, it's hard for people to really like, it's, I mean, it's hard for like male audiences to really understand what's like what exactly women experience because of course like um not all women experience the same things when it comes to childbirth and abortions and whatnot and pregnancies um so there's not really just like one oh yep we're done this is the one way that things are all the time so a lot of the times people's views are clouded because it's like oh um you have cramps and they hurt but my friend didn't have any cramps, so you must be lying. When yeah. in reality, like, I know that's like sort of a minor example, but in reality, everyone's bodies are different and people experience things differently. And I think like, that's the main thing that we need to normalize the fact that there's not necessarily one standard, one way to do everything and that everyone is really unique and has different experiences. Yeah, I feel like women's credibility, especially with painter, is often doubted. Or even if you look at how our country looks at sexual assault for women, they usually just look overlook it because they believe we're exaggerating or you are asking for it and things like that. And especially people in our government who have had, who have belittled women for a long time, those are the people running our country. So how can you expect our country to look at women and deem them credible in the same way? Yeah, I agree. You put that like really nicely. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so yeah, do you have any other opinions on that or maybe even sexual assault and what's going on? Um, I feel like quarantine in general, like, I mean, I, I have, I've been like sort of antsy in quarantine and, you know, obviously like not a lot of people really like this, but I think what really needs to be talked about is how a lot of people who are in unhealthy relationships or like in abusive relationships aren't necessarily like they have their access to the world cut off right now and I think it's important to really like just shine light on that and for us to like try and figure out a way to help because I mean as sucky as my time in quarantine has been there are a lot of people who have it worse or people that don't have access to computers or ways to contact their friends and I feel like this is a really trying time for all of us and empathy is really important right now as we just need to be looking out for each other as citizens of America, as people who just live in the world. We need to be caring about each other, checking in because honestly, like this is just, quarantine is just really putting a strain on everyone right now and some are just better at hiding it and I think that's just really important to do just to check in on your friends see how they're doing yeah I feel like mental health 
we've talked about a lot of stigmas t today, but also mental health has a lot of stigma around it. And I hope that if there are testing relationships and within families that people are free to talk about it, that they have safe spaces, maybe through technology they can find that. Have you had any, I guess, and of course we can edit this out if you want to, have you had any, um, what's the word? Have you had any trying experiences with your family? Like what's the dynamic like? Um, well, the dynamic is okay. The most, like, the, the most times, like, we argue is just about, like, the dishes. <laughs> the distribution yeah. of, like, who does what. Because I'm, like, I'm pretty busy most of the time. I volunteer for a couple of organizations. I am taking summer classes. Then I have practice. And that doesn't really leave me a lot of time to, like, A, just, like, chill and relax and be a lot of time to like do labor and in general my parents are both working right now and everyone just comes well everyone is home all the time so it's just like a source of frustration when like my parents see that like the dishes aren't done I'm like oh yeah I'll do that like after school and then after school then something comes up and it's like an urgent message and then I have to take care of that and I feel like that's just the most difficult thing right now, like sort of managing the household, like because everyone now, like that we're all home, can contribute equally to all the chores. So that's like, I don't know, that's been the most difficult part for me. And that's like really been what my parents and I have been talking about. Well, that's good considering what, what the worst possibilities could be. So I'm glad, yeah. I think just people are just, like you said, getting really antsy, and then that contributes into them just being reckless and not wearing masks and not socially distancing because of how antsy and frustrated we are with this. So I think if we're able to talk about this and have a more open discussion, then people will act less rashly about it, and then that can help, you know, avoid from affecting other communities that are at higher risk, like, you know, the elderly, pregnant women, young children, et cetera. So yeah. I think we're good here, Is unless there's anything you want to add or talk about. Um, there's nothing really that I, um, yeah, um, I had a really great time on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, of course. Hearing me. You're here. You were such a wonderful host. You, um, you were a wonderful guest. <laughs> oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.